0: Sure, the
1: fifth. You think I'm a Jonathan but I'm actually not. It's just
0: John. I know it's just John, which is so just weird because John. just John. Um yeah, I exactly. usually call you Johnny and then I was like it feels mm-hmm. weird saying Jonathan cuz that doesn't feel right.
1: It's a weird thing like I had this whole thing in like all through my childhood where I was like I am not a Jonathan. I do not like that name. But now I'm like older and I'm like I kind of like that. But it's fine you can call me whatever but, you want.
0: But on your birth certificate it says John.
1: Yeah, it's just John. <laughs>
0: It's funny because my friend Alex, his his fiance is named Kim, mm. and but it's it was never Kimberly, it's just Kim. Oh, which is kind of cool. And but I'm sure she like, I I mean I guess once you introduce <laughs> someone as your nickname, like unless it's me who would like use yeah. Jonathan, like no one's ever gonna say Jonathan over John. Why no, would you? definitely not. Right? Why would you? My
1: My best friend, his name is Johnny, he goes by Johnny, his real name is John, but he's like 35 and everyone calls him Johnny, so that's fine. You've met him once or twice.
0: Yes, I have, and you're my Johnny boy, but- Yeah, that's fine. Today, you know, we're kind of coming off uh, a little bit of imbibement from our Patreon live stream last night, which was great, and- uh, We celebrated your B-Day. We did, and we're releasing this episode obviously on Sunday, (laughs) but- if you are on our Patreon, you will see the amazing video of the birthday gift that John got me and my reaction. So it's yeah. definitely worth going over to our Patreon to support just for that video alone. But uh, we're yeah, going to get into sure. that in, in our May after show for NMR. But, uh, That's right. Just letting you all know that, uh, that there's it's certainly there that it's there. And there's certainly some perks um, in Patreon. (laughs) Absolutely. But John, we kind of have a lot to get through today because we're getting through a documentary. So what are you drinking? And let's get right into it.
1: Well, I if you guys were watching my or our Patreon stream the other night, I bought vodka to because Darren, your drink is vodka soda. But I didn't go for the soda part. And in a... I did, but not in the same way I had vodka and ginger ale, which, by the way, was really good. It, I used this red, white, and berry Smirnoff mini. It's cherry, citrus, and uh, sweet blue raspberry flavored. It was really good. But when I was searching for the minis, Darren, because I'm not a big vodka person, so I didn't want to buy a whole thing of vodka for one drink, you know, that yeah, we were having. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. So I looked at the minis and I was like, oh my god, they have a Bailey's mini. I forgot about that. So I had to buy my Bailey's mini and that's what I'm drinking on today's show. So I have some minis here. I'm going to be imbibing those.
0: Okay, so today. minis is in plural, not one mini, because I feel like this is a, this is going to well, be a longish episode. So yeah, get... maybe.
1: Okay. We'll see what happens. Yeah. What are uh, you drinking?
0: Well, because it's been my coming off of a birthday weekend, as you can imagine, I uh, I drank a little bit more than I'm used to. So I'm going I'm going a little sober today, I'm going to have a diet coke for you right nice. there with that uh, that thing, but. You know, today um, we are covering... I was the one to actually encourage yes. this. We got a couple listeners uh, who damned me about it. But honestly, it was just because it was on the top 10 of Netflix and I didn't want to, mm-hmm. like, miss the train on it. And I kind of have some thoughts after this. But we are co- we are uncovering Sons, Sons of Sam today, which is a, a Netflix documentary that just released, I want to say, a few weeks ago uh, of yeah. sorts. And it essentially... I, because it was sons and not son it obviously yeah. covers david berkowitz but it's uncovering this theory that he didn't act alone and so we're going to go through it like we did uh in our last episode our last like a uh, doc covering of TV Gacy doc, and everything yeah. we're just going to go through it episode by episode and kind of give you our thoughts as we go along and to follow the story but we kind of watched it so you don't have to in a lot of yeah, ways, that's a good way to thinking put it about it yes
1: <laughs> well, I'll kick off the the top of the show here, but I just want to mention too, Darren, something funny happened in our Patreon live stream because we we told everyone in our live stream what we were doing this week. That's another perk, by the way. You get to know what we're doing ahead of time. Exactly. Um and you were like, "Honey, sweetie, we just did this on Martini's and Murder like." No, you were like I, you ago. were like,
0: "I don't know anything about David Burke." So I was like, "Wait, we covered this <laughs> I like don't a year know. ago." And you were like, "What?" And I was like, Babe, I never
1: thought I thought we never did Son of Sam. So I got to a point where I was like, I need to go back and listen to the Martinis and murder episode because, you know, Darren, we've done hundreds of episodes of true crime over the years now. And they're all just blurring together in my head. I don't I don't ever remember. I know so much about so many different Things, but if you ask me if we ever did an episode on it, it's I'm gonna probably not know if I'm being completely
0: honest. And it's just funny because every single one of the listeners was like, Yeah, and then someone even said the fucking (laughs) episode number, they were like, It's episode. There's like 189,
1: John, go, go, go listen to it. So that was like not even an early episode. And I still don't remember. It's
0: ridiculous. And just so everyone knows, you can look up Sons of Sam, but it's technically called the Sons of Sam, a descent into darkness in case you were looking it up. So I just wanted to give the proper title, but let's kick it off with episode one here.
1: We deserve to know what we're putting into our bodies and why, especially when it comes to something we take every day. Ritual's clean, vegan-friendly multivitamin is formulated with high-quality nutrients in bioavailable forms your body can actually use. I've been using Ritual for a couple of weeks now, and I really, really like them. These multivitamins are tailor-made for me and my lifestyle. What more can you even ask for when it comes to a multivitamin? A multivitamin should contain key nutrients and forms your body can actually use to help fill gaps in the diet. No shady extras. So Ritual's delay-released capsule design delivers high-quality nutrients, including vitamin D3, in just two daily pills. Instead of your body getting rid of all the good stuff, Ritual actually stays and works. And don't worry, you can take a break from the orders as well. Your multivitamins are delivered to your door every month with free shipping always. You can start, snooze, or cancel your subscription anytime. And if you don't love Ritual within your first month, they'll refund your first order. Key nutrients without the BS. Ritual is offering our listeners a 10% off during your first three months. Visit ritual.com shaken to start your ritual today. We opened the show, the series rather, with a man named Mari Terry, who was an investigative reporter. He was very successful. Um, He worked specifically for IBM. He was writing a lot of like computer uh, techie type of uh, articles back in the day as a journalist. And this was probably right around the time in the 70s when personal computers weren't quite a thing yet. But um, you know, even though that was his industry, the son of Sam kind- story kind of really took over his career. And we yeah. he's sort of the narrator throughout this entire series, although the nar- it's his own words, I believe, Darren, but um, it's a uh, uh, voiceover Paul- actor.
0: Yeah, Paul Giamatti actually is the uh, is playing Mori oh. Terry in it, but they are his words, I think, exactly, just because he was yeah. such a writer and a reporter. I'm sure he wrote all this stuff down. I yeah. don't think they're taking any creative licensing away from that, but, uh, yeah, it's not his actual voice, obviously.
1: I did not realize it was Paul Giamatti. That makes mm-hmm. it even more interesting. So, you know, we're all set up in 1976. New York City is essentially a shithole at this time. Yeah. It's dirty. It's There's tons of crime. Rats everywhere. Um then it's nicknamed Fear City. I mean the New York City that Darren you and I grew up in if that's what you want to say or live in even um is not the same city that it was back in the 70s. I mean No no. It
0: was completely yeah. I mean Thirty. Well, I guess now it's fifty years ago. Um, yeah, I don't know why yeah. I always think it's two thousand. But in the seventies, I mean,
1: I, I do that. You too. know,
0: I always think it. It's like it's like oh, the nineties were ten years yeah. ago. Um, right. it, in the seventies, New York City was just tons of crime, graffiti yeah. everywhere in the subways. I mean, now New York City. I've said this before. Although uh, this past year kind of skewed it a little bit, but overall, it's the safest big city in the world. Uh, you know, graffiti mm-hmm. and and rats and stuff still exist, but it's a very clean city in comparison to a lot of others. And the subways are like way safer and just so much better than it used to be so
1: yeah totally well we we start on July 29th 1976 here we go these every I didn't even realize this was in the 70s before we started it's like god the 70s were just so brutal in the United States in terms of murder
0: but it was also Um, such a time that I want to go back to like not to live in here but like music and the culture it just felt like you know it was like this reawakening it felt very cool
1: yeah, well, on July 29th, uh, 1976, the first murder victim of the Son of Sam is Donna Laria. She's killed in her car. She was only 18 years old. Um, three months later, in October, Carl Dinaro is shot in the head in his car with a girl, Rosemary Keenan. Right. January 30th, 30th, 1977, another victim, Christine Freund, is found dead in a car. Now, the weapon that was being used in these murders was a 44 millimeter caliber rifle. I'm sorry, revolver. And that's what gave the initial nickname for this series of events, these series of murders, the 44 caliber caliber killer. Right. And Darren, I could be wrong. I mean, maybe we covered this in martinis and murder and I don't know. But I had never I don't recall ever hearing about the 44 caliber killer or maybe I didn't realize it was the same person, so to speak.
0: I mean, we definitely cover that. Um, You know, listen, listen, we drink a lot on this show. It's hard to remember. But no, we do cover a lot of cases. And it's obviously, it's also hard to know, like, what you cover versus what you hear. But forty-four caliber killer, you don't hear a lot about too many forty-four calibers. The bullet shell is huge. Um, It's just a very big kind of heavy gun, if you will.
1: Yeah. And the other thing, too, is, like, we maybe should talk a little bit about, you know, nicknames for serial killers weren't really a big thing at that point um you know it, it made it seem very cinematic in my opinion or yeah. theatrical to give a serial killer a big name um you know for the press essentially um by the way my Siri just came on when I said that so let me just ask her to stop
0: <laughs> it also okay, it I think it also instills I mean it's having this moniker I think it also instills a lot more fear in people I mean usually you only give that Mm. moniker to serial killers so you kind of know it's like this pattern and I think that definitely um, would kind of freak people out in a lot of ways once the media gets wind of it
1: Well, yeah. And speaking of freaking people out, Darren, the victims so far, as we know, were typically young women with shorter, dark hair. Does this ring a bell
0: to you? I was talking about my parents over the weekend and I was saying this because I had watched this and I was talking to them about it. My mom had, you know, looks like me as dark hair. She used to. And, uh, you know, she wasn't living in New York City necessarily in the time, but we talked a lot about... um, like how my parents would feel. If I was 33 in New York City in 1976, like, I'm not sure. I mean, talk about quarantine. Like, I'm not sure I would go out at all. I mean, it's it it terrified this place. It terrified this place.
1: Yeah, so much so that women were even, um, like, pinning up their hair, um, dyeing their hair so that they weren't seen as sort of this stereotypical girl that – or woman – That was being targeted. Maury Terry, the journalist we were talking about, had an impeccable memory. He knew all of the sports stats of his favorite teams, so he was one of those journalists that you know was able to remember a lot of stuff. He kind of sounds perfect in a way for true crime sleuthing if he can remember such things, you know? Yeah,
0: and and in the doc, they're just dropping little hints about who Maury Terry is while also setting the scene of what's going on. So, like, we're kind of setting the scene of what's happening with Son of Sam, but Maury Terry is like. You know, he's just haunted yeah. by this as well, kind of thing.
1: Yeah, good point. So, on April 17th, 1977, uh the killer strikes again. This time it's 18 year old Valentina Suriani and her 20 year old boyfriend, Alexander Isau. I hope I'm saying yeah. that right. That's right. They were shot in their car at three o'clock in the morning. So, this isn't like, I don't know. I guess I'm not, I don't want to victim blame by any means, but. Also, knowing, I'm just trying to think, like, me being out in a car at 3 a.m. in 1970s New York, that would freak me out. I would not want to be out there. Although I am a true crime podcaster now, so I know this type of stuff, so maybe that's the difference. But, um, I
0: mean, New York City is full of nightlife. I think 3 a.m. is almost early in true. New York. But uh, But as a woman, I will say that part of me for better or for worse, feels a little bit safer having a guy around. And so, you know, it's also possible there's kind of strength in numbers. Uh, If I was certainly Valentina, I can't say for sure. I probably would have felt better having my boyfriend there as well.
1: Well, that's a good point. Yeah, for sure. Well, a note is left near that car, and it was addressed to the lead guy in Homicide, Captain Borelli. This is in the New York City Police Department. And, Darren, you found it to be very terrifying. He says that he doesn't want to kill, but when Father Sam gets drunk, he has a thirst for blood and ends it with, quote, I'll be back. That's Um, Tell us what you thought about this, because you you specifically didn't like this part of it.
0: (laughs) Well, I just don't... I mean, like, anyone... Anytime anyone talks about, like, in the third person is a little scary. Obviously, (laughs) like... I'll be back is not you know that just looms the threat even further and you know it's sort of starting to show a little bit here now we're gonna kind of get into the weeds a little bit but like Mm -hmm. he's not an you know he's a he's he's sort of this innocent agent acting out on behalf of someone else right a little bit of a schizophrenic type of vibe maybe that he's hearing voices or seeing something different or he's acting as this agent to Satan in a lot of ways. Uh, Mm. It was just very terrifying.
1: Satanic agent. That sounds like Mm -hmm. a good TV show. Yes, it does. Or or a movie. Well, he also described himself as a chubby behemoth, which in some ways, Darren, shows a sense of self-awareness, you know? I thought so. Yeah. Well, Harvey Schlossberg, Schlossberg, excuse me, a psychologist for the NYPD, said that the son of Sam clearly has, quote, sexual inadequacies at this point. Um, So they're able to sort of, you know, forensically profile this person, whoever it may be. And, um, you know, they're able to get all the way down to the sexual inadequacies based on the information that they have of him.
0: Yeah, based on the letter, based on the victims, are a lot of women. I mean, that, I'm not saying that that's 100%, but that tends to lean that way. And Jimmy Breslin, who was a reporter for the Daily News at the time, he writes this article telling Son of Sam to basically stop it. You know, leave it alone. Stop Stop terrorizing the world, essentially. And then Son yeah. of Sam writes back to Breslin immediately. And Breslin publishes this in the Daily News. Imagine the newspaper sales at this time. Because, you know, they had the <laughs> right. New York Post. They had the Daily News. But everyone was competing for different headlines here. And if you're going to publish a letter from Son of Sam, I mean, like, this is the way people are getting their news, you know? Yeah, totally. So, so the seventh attack happens again in a car in Bayside, Queens, with just further makes the city even more scared and people don't want to go out. Now they're hitting other boroughs and July 22nd, 1977, mm. just one week before the anniversary of the first shooting, everyone was hyper aware and they basically thought that, you know, Son of Sam was going to attack again on the year anniversary. It kind of makes sense, you know, we're a week out now. Yeah. Yeah. So, July 29th, year anniversary comes around, every NYPD cop is on the is on the force in the field that day. I mean, they yeah. were hyper-vigilant, but it kind of came and went and nothing happened. So it was a lot of hype for nothing.
1: Yeah, and, you know, it, it kind of begs the point of, like, you know, this person is clearly somewhat methodical. They're leaving notes. They have all kinds of details of what they can about this person. Um, you know, I just found it interesting that they were like, okay, here comes the anniversary. Let's make sure everybody's on on call and on duty and making sure we're policing every single little corner. But then nothing happened, you know? So it's kind of like, if you're the police at that point, you're like... I don't know, I'm just wondering what they're thinking, you know?
0: Yeah, or, you know, this is... They're thankful. They're, they're probably annoyed, you know, because yeah. it, it's just chaos is essentially what Son of Sam is causing. On July 31st, 1977, one year and two days since the first victim was killed, Son of Sam's kills Stacy Moskowitz and Robert Violante. And you have to remember this murder because this is going to come mm-hmm. back. Uh, these two murders are definitely going to come back. So Robert Violante is essentially blinded by this guy, but Stacy Moskowitz is killed in this brutal way. Both were in their car in the Brooklyn section of New York and yeah the Brooklyn section of New York and to some extent it's kind of a relief that it's found to be a victim of Son of Sam and not another copycat killer or rageful killer sometimes knowing is 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 a positive thing but yeah you know I'm not saying it's a good thing that this happened but maybe that we have a source for it now August 9th 1977 just a few days after the killing one of the police is asked to check the summons issues from that evening and you know, mm. cars get summoned all the time for whatever. Maybe he kind of put two and two together. I mean, this is in the Brooklyn yeah. section now, um, <laughs> and he finds that 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 Dave, this car registered to David Berkowitz, who lives in the Yonker, who lives in Yonkers at the time, uh, has a summons. And the he calls the precinct. I mean, we don't know the name David Berkowitz yet. He calls the precinct yeah, right. and finds out. You know he's a little bit fishy, sort of like what is a young Jewish guy from Brooklyn, you know, living in Yonkers for uh, that at the time? You know, it's very you lived amongst your sect, Uh, and it did seem a little weird uh, for him to be living in Yonkers, considering the fact that you know all these were like why when you're living in Yonkers are summons happening for you in Brooklyn? It just didn't right. I kind of didn't fit, and so he called a young woman uh, at the police station named Wheat Carr, and this woman named Wheat Carr answered the phone, and it turns out she was actually a neighbor of David Berkowitz, and she informs him that Berkowitz shot their Black Lab dog, and it was her father, Sam's dog. Remember? Mm. Father Sam. Okay, so this immediately perks the detective's ears here. Well, and-
1: And Sorry to interrupt you, but how did it feel for you, Darren, as you learned that, unfortunately, a dog lost its life? I know it's very touching well, for
0: you. Well, unfortunately, this isn't mm. the only dog to have lost their life in this incident. So it's very sad. I can assume it's only jarring for, you know, this is kind of how serial killers get started. And just totally. perks the detective's ears up. Four detectives go stake out his address in Yonkers on Pine Street. But they find his car. And they look in the window of the car and they find underneath kind of the mattress is the butt of a gun. There's okay. so much
1: circumstantial evidence building at this point, by the way. Like, It's I don't just know. a lot
0: of weird clues. And that's kind of mm. how we're going to go through this. Now, they break in the car to find a letter from Son of Sam. And eventually they catch him. And he admits to cops, you know you caught me. I am the son of Sam. So it's all from this summons that kind of led to this gun, finding the letter. David Berkowitz comes out to his car and they essentially catch him. And
1: And I'm sorry to interrupt you, but really quickly, one of the most chilling parts of this episode to me was, I think it was like either the investigator or the person who like broke into the car or, or, or waited for him recounted. Uh, David Berkowitz coming out and being like yeah you found me I'm the son of Sam and it was just so like ooh, like creepy he and, gave
0: it yeah. up so easily which, yeah, which right. is a little a little Mysterious, But maybe sometimes true, these people yeah. want to get caught. And, you know, David was a 24-year-old postal worker at the time. And right. he was smiling when they took him in. I mean, you can see a lot of these pictures online. He was right. sort of very happy to talk about himself and what he had done. Almost like it was this badge of honor, which I think mm. maybe another reason he kind of admitted it uh, off the bat. You know catching Son of Sam almost seemed to turn around the entire city. You know, people started yeah. to go out again. But something about David Berkowitz kind of being quiet and diligent in his work, it just it didn't add up to a lot of people of the character profile of who Son of Sam would be. So we're starting to present a few questions about this now. Right. And Maury Terry, who's been following this case kind of since the killings happened, he's not fully convinced either that David Berkowitz could kill all these people and not get caught. I mean, First off, the in-person sketches that people yeah. had, had, had eyewitness testimonies, which as we know aren't 100% reliable, but it is kind of a sketch that we can go on. Mm-hmm. There's a number of different looking sketches and David Berkowitz doesn't look like any of them. I mean, right. he doesn't, they show on the dock all these sketches. Say. I mean, there's not even a, like a remote resemblance. No. I mean, remember David Berkowitz is a... Chubby Jewish guy, not particularly tall, with dark uh, hair. Yeah. With dark hair, it just didn't seem to make sense. I mean, and none of the sketches were even of a chubbier guy, which no. you think would be something that you could you can kind of pick up whether or not you can see the face. And he doesn't right. even Morrie be- Terry doesn't even believe his this demon this dog demon story with Sam Carr. He wants to look him up in the phone book, and he finds mm-hmm. John Wheat Carr, and he remembers in that Breslin letter that son of Sam had sort of written to Jimmy Breslin that he references this guy, John Wheaties, okay? Uh, and they found a photo of this guy, and he looks a lot like the sketches. So Wheat Carr, remember the woman who said that they killed? Yep. And then she has a brother, John Wheat Carr. So there's just it's a lot of weird coincidences, and that's kind of how the first episode of this documentary ends, with a lot of questions floating in the air.
1: guys. Darren and I are in love with this new jewelry line we discovered called Ana Luisa. You can check them out at analuisa.com That's A-N-A-L-U-I-S-A.com. I ordered a few pieces for my mom and grandmother for Mother's Day and they absolutely love them I got my mom this dainty chic little necklace and I thought she might like it but she actually more than liked it She loved it um, And there's good news for you guys listening right now Get a special discount if you want to treat yourself and your loved ones Just go to analuisa.com slash shaken and use code shaken To get 10% off, Ana Luisa has so much versatile and timeless jewelry for such affordable prices, starting at just $39. And with 10% off with code SHAKEN, you're getting chic style at such an amazing cost. What makes Ana Luisa so unique is that they have updated pieces on their website every single week. You'll never run out of options. So go treat yourself and your loved ones and use code SHAKEN to get 10% off. We absolutely recommend them. They're a great brand. They're making beautiful, sustainable jewelry. Go check out analuisa.com slash SHAKEN, code SHAKEN, or click the link right in our show notes then we open episode two and the public wants david berkowitz dead of course um everyone thinks he's guilty at least you know to some degree you have to think about how the press is playing into these details and to all the public knows you know he's the guy that did it and they they want him dead so that they can go back to their normal lives again
0: well, yeah, I mean, to your point, it's like once they found someone, everyone, even whether or not it's the correct person, right? Mm-hmm. Like whether or not it's he acted alone, I think the public wants to put this to bed. And if yeah. they can solidly say that the NYPD can put this to bed, people can sleep at night again. So everyone's yeah. motivated to solve this case for better or for worse.
1: And not only that, but the wise and hows and all of the different details right. and what makes this guy tick, things like that. They find out that he never had a girlfriend and served in the military and also uh, trained on firearms. So a right. lot of, you know, details are sort of building into the profile that they had for this guy, for the killer, I should say. Um, he was adopted when he, when he was younger and when he found his birth mother, she rejected him. Um, again, these are similar sort of circumstances to, Other serial killers that came later after him, by the way, um, at least in the United States, Berkowitz told people that a dog, Sam, told him to do all of this and that Sam is a 6,000 year old being and he talks to him through the dog. Now, let me just stop right here. I know that that sounds absolutely insane. And of course it is, you know, very, very unhinged and probably some psychosis happening here, right? Sure. Sure. But, and I would say that, but in the last couple of months, Darren, and we this we can save this for another episode, but all of this conversation about aliens and UFOs and um, unidentified aerial phenomena that the government themselves have documented and can't explain, I will be honest with you, just as somebody who is interested in this kind of paranormal type of stuff, if that's even what you want, what you want to call it, it has me thinking about all kinds of things including you know how are they if they are these quote unquote aliens or whatever is is responsible for these crafts are they communicating with people <laughs> you know like right. are they in some telekinetic way because they're an advanced species able to do something like we that we don't
0: know that they're advanced though by the way that's, that's true like, yeah that's what people assume and i'm like why are we assuming that we don't know anything we don't even know if it's a we species we don't know
1: yeah don't exactly know You know, know absolutely nothing. Exactly. And that's what kind of makes me spiral, you know, into my little rabbit hole. Well, and I
0: think that's why I was saying (laughs) that that Breslin letter with the son of Sam. I mean, he's kind of talking about this like exterior agent through this dog. You know, it's like it's just very unhinged and it's very uncontrollable. So it's a little scary in that way.
1: Yeah, it is scary. Exactly. And so is all that, you know, aerial phenomena stuff. But we will save that for another episode. I'm just saying if we find out that aliens were speaking to him one day. I'm going on record with saying uh, it's a possibility. Okay. Yeah, you, you had the Golden right. State
0: Killer right, so there you go.
1: <laughs> there you go. So Martin yeah. Terry definitely thought that there was more to the story. John Carr does look a lot like the composite sketches. Now John Carr's father, Sam, was apparently very abusive to the children, and all of this is leading back to these weird letters that son of Sam had written to the police. They go back to the Stacy Moskowitz killing and the witnesses who saw her and Violante get shot. Doesn't really describe they don't really describe Berkowitz, but also that scenario took play a mere four seconds after a local neighbor, Cecilia, claims that she saw Berkowitz walking to his car and removing the ticket. And we see actual news footage in this documentary. So credit to the documentary um, of Cecilia being like, guys, like this doesn't add up. I know we all want to kind of I'm paraphrasing here, by the way. Um, Yeah point to this guy but she was like I saw him I I walked feet away from him it just doesn't add up well, Jim Mitiger, NY, an NYPD uh, detective, excuse me, befriended Berkowitz when he was in prison, and Berkowitz mentions being there. Be, uh, sorry, excuse me, that there being other Sams out there. Right. Um. So this is the kind of the first indication that maybe David Berkowitz wasn't acting alone. Again, remember he did confess in some way or another. Um. But he's not saying he's the only one that did it, which is. And let's
0: just say, and I think this goes without saying, but just gonna say it here, like we don't really know how trustworthy Berkowitz is as a a person. I mean, him saying other Sams out there could just be to further terrorize. So it's possible we're all reading into this in a way that is just David Berkowitz kind of getting one up on us again, you know?
1: Totally. But with all of this information, the NYPD still had never interviewed John Carr, which is very weird. They didn't do a lot of post-investigation to them. Everything was... You know everything was uh signed sealed and delivered it was David Berkowitz let's move on that was it right exactly well Mari notices there's a lot of occult references within the son of Sam letter and even the son of Sam's signature was something used in the dark arts and it seemed to relate to both Carr and Berkowitz and Darren dark arts sounds exciting to me because of Harry Potter there is the defense against the dark arts class at Hogwarts which I think you and I would definitely be in
0: well um, um, you might you might need to have the what is it professor diff- Trelawney? what what is the well prof- you know that that snape? particular snape. that snape. snape yeah snape. exactly okay we might need some <laughs> snapeage uh in here <laughs> so essentially you know the path between so moritarian they have they start to They want to know about this. And essentially the path between John Carr's home and David Berkowitz's home uh, was along this place that people called the Gutters, okay? Mm. It was sort of this aqueduct. It was in this park. It was in this aqueduct where a lot of occult meetings happened. You know, they went underground and they saw a lot of the upside-down crosses and the um, circle with the stars in it. You know, like just a lot. Fucking creepy, by the way. Yeah, and so New York Post runs a picture of David Berkowitz lying asleep in his prison cell. And the media Mm. goes, why? wild about this, okay? You don't really see inside a jail in a photo, right? Like, you see never, a mugshot, yeah. but you never see. How is someone getting a photo of him sleeping? Who could have gotten these photos? They were ta- they were taken by Jim Mittiger, who, as I, as we said before, mm-hmm. befriended David Berkowitz, but once people and and the press knew that there was sort of this leak and someone had a tie into David Berkowitz, the coverage was just going to be over. I think the yeah. NYPD, this could have a lot to do with politics, not wanting to reopen a case or to find mm-hmm. out anything further. Kind of an open and shut thing and all of a sudden John Carr, the guy we've been talking about is found dead in North Dakota in this place called Minot North Dakota from an apparent murder-suicide and this raises a ton of questions. Why North Dakota? All of a sudden he's found dead. You know yeah. Maury essentially Maury Terry puts this in print because he's writing about it as it's going on. Him and him and Jim Miniger are are, are kind of hand in hand in this, and Maury puts yeah. it in print that John Carr could have been implicated in the shootings. It does seem kind of convenient, and Minniger is under arrest for arranging to pay for the pictures of David Berkowitz sleeping, which was also a little highly suspicious. I mean, for sure, it seems a little weird that he's getting arrested, and you know, finally the trial happens. David Berkowitz admits to killing six 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 people he -hmm. pleads guilty uh nypd is happy but maury terry is just not i mean he just thinks there's so much more to the case than the police are getting to so he goes to minot north dakota which is a pretty small place you know not that north dakota is huge anyway but this kind of town has a population of thirty-five thousand, and it starts to talk to local law enforcement about his john carr theory and basically the local law enforcement there and mm-hmm. and Maury Terry all agree that the best place to look for John Carr is at the base housing on the Air Force base where where Carr's body was found. This is sort of mm. where they're gonna they're gonna plant themselves. Ground zero of it, if you will. And you know, the question kind of is, is like why if Carr was implicated in the killings, why would he kill himself rather than be arrested, especially if he's innocent? You know, like
1: yeah. what's and the es-
0: point of this?
1: And especially in North Dakota, I just looked this up right now if you were to drive from New York City to North Dakota right now with interstates and things like that, it's 1,695 miles and would take 29 hours. So, you know, this isn't like, oh, I'm taking a day trip down to D.C. from New York or even like South Carolina. This is a cross-country trek and it just really does beg the question, how did he get find himself there?
0: Yeah, and like, and why is he just dead there? I mean, we're going for the Yonkers. It just doesn't make sense. So friends of John Carr told Maury that that Carr used to write the Son of Sam symbol that we saw in the letters in telephone books all over the place four months before it was even published in papers
1: in in Minot right this wasn't just like New York City this was I think in North Dakota he was in
0: doing my, this. in Minot but he's but yeah. these are friends of his basically Like, right. yeah he's writing this really weird symbol and mm. it doesn't make any sense so it's not like he's copying it from the press because no one had come out I with had this yet it. Right, so right. so it turns out uh, through friends that. Uh, Maury Terry finds out that John Carr sacrificed dogs in a ritualistic mm. manner and was involved in a cult ceremony. So this is what I'm saying, uh, you know, not just, yeah. um,
1: the first. he wasn't dog. the
0: only dog. And, and these dogs happen to be German shepherds, which is kind right. of uh, an important thing. But again, sacrificing animals in this, in this cult ceremony. Now, Maury ret- returns to New York City and finds out that Michael Carr, who was John's brother, was driving along the West Side Highway and was killed in a car accident. Okay, so another car brother gets killed, but appears that someone sort of ran him off the road, which is just highly sus, as (laughs) John Brasher would say. Highly sus. Mm -hmm. And Michael was also another suspect implicated in these murders, according to Maury Terry. In his mind, people always thought that the brothers were involved just due to their father being abusive and the dog killings and stuff. And the Queens District Attorney, this guy named uh, uh, Sam Tucci, admits that he doesn't think Berkowitz acted alone. so
1: Which is huge, by the way. For the
0: Queen's Attorney to say that, I mean, this just reopens yeah. the case all over again.
1: Yeah, totally. And, you know, Darren, I used to live near the uh, West Side Highway, so it's just weird because as you get older and as we get into a lot of New York City crimes, it's like all these places that were, like, you know, just little things I would walk through in my daily life or drive on in my daily life are actually, like, big parts of a lot of history. It's kind of weird. Oh, yeah.
0: That's oh, part yeah. I guess
1: that's part of living in New York City, isn't it?
0: Yeah, absolutely. You never know what you're walking under or over, essentially, right. in New York City.
1: So by episode so that was episode two. By episode three, we're learning even more details. It's called the ultimate evil. Mari is continuing on the hunt to prove that there was more than one killer in the son, with the son of Sam. The DA Sam Tucci reopened the case, which is humongous. Again, this is basically going against the nypd who yeah. think everything is like locked and loaded and they don't want to go back to it again something we hear about all the time with police departments they don't want to be proven wrong in any way shape or form so they would and rather not, and yeah. not
0: only that this is giving maury in his mind even way more ammo yeah. to keep digging into this case for better or for worse so right. maury is just obsessive about this if you if totally
1: will But then the NYPD is like, there's no reason to do this. No need to reopen. We already got the guy, like we just said. Um, Detectives start searching into the Carr family. and It turns out that Michael Carr was heavily involved in Scientology, as was John, they discovered. And then as investigators dig deeper, they find a group of, uh, sorry, in the occult that can trace its roots to Scientology. And they called themselves the Process Church of the Final Judgment. Now- yeah,
0: go ahead. I was just gonna say this is like an extreme version of Scientology. Like mm-hmm. it's taking its roots in it, but the and we're gonna kind of get into a little bit of what it meant. But yeah, uh, when they first show the process, as we're gonna call it from yeah. now on, because that just takes too long. It's very dark and it looks very evil, and that could just be the stereotype. But it's it's not like a fun and friendly type of thing and no. flowers and love. It is harsh.
1: Yeah, well, the process was founded by Robert and Marianne de De Grimston, and they met at the Church of Scientology. They started the church and moved to Mexico to become more at one with nature. But a hurricane hit and they were basically stranded for three days. De Grimston had visions during this time and, quote, an intense hunger for extremes. It was basically all about chaos and destruction, wanting to bring the end of, bringing on the end of the world. Exactly. So, so like Darren was saying, this isn't, like, flowers and and zen, you know? Well,
0: and if you remember, like, in Charlie Manson, how it's essentially like he mm-hmm. wanted to start a race war, and he felt like the race war was gonna, like, end the world, and then like, his people would, like, rise above, and it's kind of like that, where it's like these people, yeah. it's like those doomsdayers that feel like the world's coming to an end, and if right. they feel follow their strict place like that's the only way you'll be saved you know
1: totally well the process had a certain affinity for german shepherd dogs with Ger- with which darren just mentioned excuse me darren do you think this is a coincidence or could it be random i think it's, i mean
0: it, you know. it's hard to say right because it's like german right. shepherd dogs but the fact that these were also the dogs that were killed in minot that they said john cars john friends of john card said that he killed is right. like, a little
1: A little sus. A little sus. Well, they set up, the process set up camp in New York City, Los Angeles, New Orleans, San Francisco. Darren, you say literally all the places opposite of nature. Well, they're like, I want to be at
0: one with nature. I'm like, then why are you moving to San Francisco and L.A.? (laughs) Definitely not
1: L.A., you know. Yes. Yeah. Well, one of the neighbors in San Francisco was none other than Charles Manson. And I will say I got to give credit to these uh, documentary makers. The end of season two ended with a cliffhanger that Charles Manson was involved, and in. it was so like thrilling. I'm like, oh my god, what? Charles Manson is involved. It, it hadn't quite hit me that there was that connection. So sure. It was sure. just such a throw. Well, some believe that everything Manson actually knew came from the process. A lot of similarities, uh, there are a lot of similarities between the process and the Manson killings, the symbols, all of the references.
0: And like, you know, they, you know, Manson called his people the family, and then mm-hmm. in the process, they called them the children. So there's just like a lot of, and That's granted, true, this could yeah. all just be in the occult. It could just be that these right. are similar things, but there just was a lot of eerie similarities.
1: I completely agree. Well, Mari... Meanwhile, Mari Terry gets a letter from Berkowitz in Attica Prison admitting that he was a part of a cult and that he is guilty of the murders, but did not act alone. He said that John Carr was deceased and many others have vanished, scattered across the USA. Berkowitz tells Mari the public will never believe him, no matter how much, uh, he has in evidence Berkowitz right. had an so, ac- oh go ahead sorry yeah.
0: just to say that like so mm-hmm. Berkowitz is essentially like Maury is just like salivating at this idea that he could be solving this extra layer of this Berkowitz case and Berkowitz is yeah. like it doesn't matter Maury how much evidence you have no one's ever going to believe you yeah
1: yeah exactly yeah. Well, Berkowitz had an occult book that had sent that had sent some pages to detectives with notes on it. And one of them mentioned this woman, Arliss Perry, and how she was stalked and killed on Stanford University. And this obviously begs the question, well, who the hell is Arliss Perry? Right. Well, Arliss was 19 at the time, and she was found slain in a very, very brutal way in the church on Stanford University. Um, there were no suspects in custody and the dna that was found from the altar candles didn't turn up a match these candles were um there was one that was in her vagina which is like horrifying there was one shoved up the side of her um, shirt and her clothes there was like an ice pick into the into her head or something like that so it was brutal yeah it was very brutal
0: and you know I'm thinking here like they just start they st- describe Arliss as a gr- kind of this deeply religious person you know it's possible maybe she kind of got caught up in the occult in maybe a bad way or You know, Mm -hmm. didn't do something right. Now, Berkowitz wrote to the police and admitted to attending an occult meeting in Queens. And a man got up, according to David Berkowitz, and said he had killed Arliss Perry, or at least knew someone who did. But Berkowitz, it's important to say here, never names names at all. Mm. So he's giving all these details without actually giving any of the details that are helpful. And Maury actually really wanted to get in touch with David Berkowitz, but David refused to see him and Maury was frustrated and he sort of lost him as a source and couldn't figure out how to continue this case without getting to the heart and soul of David Berkowitz. If David's not mentioning names, how are we going to kind of continue this? And sort of months went by, time goes by, and a police informant that they call Vinny, which isn't, you know, it's just a generic name, it's not his actual name. Who was at Attica along with Berk- Berkowitz sent detectives a letter insinuating that the murder of Stacey Moskowitz was actually filmed. So we could watch this, which is pretty oh. incredible. And uh, and by incredible I mean that's a pretty big piece a of evidence to have a film yeah. something you know yeah. it, so apparently it was uh, supposedly a snuff film you know where someone dies and they kind of sell it these are kind of these mm. underground films that still happen today mm. it was a snuff, snuff film by this guy Ron Sisman and that uh, Ron was actually killed by a man named R.R., this guy Vinny says okay. so kind of. Let's backtrack a little bit to yeah. Halloween of 1981, and Ron Sisman was a filmmaker. He made a he made a lot of dark, sexual films. And one night, uh, him and this woman, a student named Elizabeth Platzman, went out on a date. And as they get back to Ron's apartment, someone has jumped them, closes the door. Um, so he's in the apartment, kills them, mm. and essentially is trashing Ron's apartment. Uh, people think that they're looking for kind of these snuff films now. Mm rr the police are kind of wondering who could rr be you know who's kind of involved in these dark things and the guy, that they're, the guy that they come up with is this guy named Roy Radin, who was a party guy in the Hamptons, a young guy. He had these, like, wild cocaine sex orgy parties. Uh, they were thinking maybe he could kind of be involved in it. Vinny claimed that Roy Radin had a major role in this cult, but the detectives were very skeptical because it's hard to trust someone who's an informant in prison, of course. It's, even li- it's right. hard to trust a prisoner because some, you never know if someone's lying to get out of their own shit, if you will. Yeah,
1: for sure, yeah.
0: And one day, Radin is killed, shot in the back mm. of the head, and his body is dumped into a canyon in California so many people around this ring are kind of just dying and this is just making Maury more involved in it Maury flies out to Los Angeles to meet the police there Raiden was a film producer working on a film at the time and Maury goes to search in this canyon and finds Raiden's body in the canyon and weirdly enough mysteriously finds a bible about twenty feet away from Raiden's body. Now this is a little weird. Like this It's is very weird.
1: sus, as I would like to say. But
0: hugely sus. Hugely I mean, sus. It's
1: crazy that Mari just gets this information or whatever and is able to determine the exact canyon that this guy's body is in. I mean yeah, I, the I'm doc like, doesn't I wondered, really go
0: into it that no, much. I'm yeah. like, how did you guys find that? That's who was little... with you? I was
1: like, did you go did you bring police with you? Like, are you just stumbling upon a body? He brought like... his
0: wife at the time, but it just okay. seems a little I don't oh, know. Wow. Like it just seemed a little weird. Well, Maury Terry releases this book in June of nineteen eighty seven called The Ultimate Evil. You can buy it now. And it's this for lack of a better term, sort of this Bible uh, on Son of yeah. Sam, you know, how Son of Sam didn't act alone. He's really part of this cult of killers. It seems a little weird to me to come out with a book like this in the middle of your investigation. Cause it just <laughs> sort of seems like you're drumming up a lot of police. You're drumming up a lot of publicity for something that isn't proven. And so, That's true. Yeah. you know, and, 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 you know, it's a huge hit. This, the ultimate sure. evil is a huge hit. and, you know uh one of the guys basically says, "If it scares you, you want it, and that's why people wanted to read about this and you know Maury's doing this press story he goes on heraldo he goes on other other cult shows, and this kind of causes this satanic panic, which we talked about a few weeks ago with megan yeah. and it, it because of this satanic panic that you know young people are into the into the occult, mm-hmm. it kind of drowns out the entire son of Sam story and all of this which tears Maury apart because his entire goal is to get people to want to pay attention. And now everyone's just kind of focusing on being in cults as opposed to like, oh, is there another Son of Sam killer? Right. And so this episode wraps out with Berkowitz, with, excuse me, Maury finally scoring an interview with Berkowitz because this is the only way that Maury can kind of keep this theory alive.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting because... You know, I was thinking about what you were just saying about the book part. Like, maybe he feels like, because another part of this whole thing was like, it was hard for him to get published or get people to believe in his story and blah, blah, blah. Maybe he just published this because he knew it was the only way to get that information out. I don't know. You know, there wasn't the internet, there wasn't Snapchat, there wasn't Instagram. You can't post your thoughts on Facebook. You know, maybe there's something there. I don't know. But. Yeah. that was the end of episode three. We open at uh, sorry, we open on episode four at the Sullivan Correctional Facility on September 23rd, 1993. And Darren, what did you think when David Berkowitz finally sat down?
0: So you know, he sits down with Maury and they're like, you know, it's like, oh, waiting for him to come down the hall. And they're really setting it up. He sits down now. Granted, I understand it had been 20 years later, roughly yeah. since he had been caught, but like I can't recognize him at all. He kind of looks like Richard Dreyfus to me.
1: Mm, that's interesting. Like, uh, yeah. like
0: Richard Dreyfus would might maybe be a good Son of Sam player. Like yeah. he, he like I had to really because before you know you see the classic pictures of him getting yeah, caught. Totally. You see the classic picture of him smiling. Obviously he's older, and I know that, but like he doesn't look anything like I guess I thought he yeah. was gonna look like.
1: It's you. It makes me wonder, like, what jail and, like, knowing what your problems had been your whole life, like, how that manifests itself into your physical form.
0: Yeah, um, and I, I, I'm sure you lose weight, and I'm sure yeah. it's stressful and, you know.
1: Yeah, totally. Well, as you mentioned, he was polite, well-spoken, and almost at peace in his words, but he described growing up tortured and something always pulling him into the darkness, which is another... I feel like detail that we've heard so many different times in all the different episodes of murder related things we've heard. Um, Absolutely. Well, Berkowitz talks about being pulled into the cult and watching the sacrifices and the rituals. And it's almost like a gang because once they indoctrinated him, they threatened to kill his family. If they ever betrayed the group. And I took a second when I was watching this part of the documentary, which by the way, you can watch on Netflix if you're just figuring out this part of the episode. But I took a second and I thought, wow, You know, especially with John Carr, who, you know, basically that's what they told him, that he had to kill himself or they were going to kill everybody else in his family. And I thought, how could I, you know, how could I handle that information myself? Like, knowing that if you didn't commit to this gang, to this occult, that somebody was going to one by one murder your family, that is a level of manipulation and betrayal in a sense that... I don't I just can't imagine that feeling, you know.
0: Well, and and part of it is coupled with like, you know, your sort of I mean, that's how people get you, right? That's how gangs right. indoctrinate you and stuff, but at the same time it's also like do we trust that Berkowitz? Like like Well, that's right too, yeah. What does what Berkowitz kind of give a shit about anybody for? Like it well, just that's seems true, a little yeah. it seems a little bit weird uh that he's doing this in this interview, but at the same time Maury is just again continuing to just like want to get all this, extract all this information out of Berkowitz as he can.
1: Yeah. Do you feel like Maury was sort of leading him in this interview?
0: It, I did get that sense. I mean, it's hard to say because like Maury had never had any of his theories kind of pan out. Right. And, I don't know. I you know, know I it's think hard. I, I think I think he wanted to I think he wanted Berkowitz to say everything and I think that Berkowitz knew that Maury was so involved in it, so kind of knew how to play on that. That doesn't mean it mm-hmm. wasn't true. It just did seem like maybe because David was kind of, you know, just confirming everything that Maury said, it, deemed, it did seem a little bit suggestive to me. And maybe Maury was leading him a little bit for this.
1: Well, it also makes me wonder, like, if you're David Berkowitz, what do you think is going to happen as a result of this interview? Like, right. does he think, like, if he's able to confirm all this stuff and make somebody happy that he'll get, like, a reduced sentence or not a reduced sentence? But, like, you know, less time in jail now or maybe there's some kind of advantage in jail it just yeah. makes me wonder, you know, because like, I've never I don't know the politics or the I don't want to say game of being an inmate and needing to get out of jail. But I don't know, just the way you, you the way you phrase that had me wondering. Absolutely. Well, you know, David admits that John Carr did kill some of the people he was in jail for and finally confirmed Mari's suspicions that, in fact, he wasn't the only person connected to all these crimes. But. Mari isn't satisfied. He wants David to name names, but the only one he gave up was Carr, who of course Who's is now dead. Dead,
0: right? Yeah. So it seems a little bit of an easy, right, scapegoat here.
1: Yeah, there's no retaliation or ramifications from John because there's, you know, he's dead. So there you go. While Mari goes live with this interview, and it's absolutely insane. Mari wants the NYPD to admit that they messed up, which of course enrages the police at the time. They don't want to. You know, by I mean, the way, we did didn't really touch. Ta- yeah, they didn't do anything wrong. We didn't talk about, you know, the promotion ceremonies, which were the biggest ones ever as a result of putting David Berkowitz away back at the beginning of this whole crisis and the pomp and circumstances around self-congratulating um, the, the whole NYPD. So. You know, the last thing they want to do is be the laughing stock of the biggest city in the world, you know, and be seen Or to as- go
0: back on it and say, like, hey, you didn't do a thorough yeah. enough investigation. Like there was a lead here and you never even interviewed John Carr's family because you were just satisfied with putting Berkowitz in prison. And right. You know, I think there's a lot to that. And I and I do for give Maury sure. credit for this. Now Maury is continuing when they hunt. I mean, he's not trying to necessarily say that the NYPD is bad. He's just trying to say that, like, guys, this case isn't closed yet. And he right. finds a member of one of the children of the process, this guy named John Paul, and he says that they were involved in pornography and the drug trade. That's kind of how the, the process, you know, made mm. their money. Uh, this, bring Morey, this brings Maury back to that filmmaker, Ron Sissman, mm. and his story about the Stacey Moskowitz's death being part of a snuff film. Every time Maury is interviewing Berkowitz, though— David Berkowitz, to me, he just, like, looks down when he's admitting something. It's almost like Maury's giving a little bit of a suggestive interview, so it's hard. I'm not personally buying the interviews, because Mm. as much as Maury is, maybe have this weird evidence, Berkowitz just isn't giving it up, and, you know, detectives write reports based on evidence, and David Berkowitz being involved in the process, but it just goes nowhere. I mean, I think it's an interesting thing, but there's not a lot to go off of here, and Maury is just disrupting the politics of the NYPD as this is going on. And honestly, I think he have just maybe been maybe too close to the case. I think it just took yeah. such a physical toll on him. And For he sure. died never really solving the case that he was so mm. desperate to solve. And, you know, the NYPD, police in general, they have a very strong hold. And, uh... uh the case never gets reopened and it's kind of solved And basically June 28th, 2018, which just happened a few years ago, you know, 20 miles from Stanford University, they capture the guy that they think kills Arliss Perry. And and you see this video, kind of the ending of this documentary, of the police going to this guy's house, you know, and uh, he shoots himself in front Mm. of the police in Mm. his house. So, so much of this remains a mystery. It's really... You know, and I'm kind of not, I mean, I was certainly intrigued by being like, is there someone else that's out there? But. Totally. It's really hard. I, I'm curious. I actually want other people to watch this documentary because know, I'm left too. a little, I'm still left with a, a lot of questions. You know, when I was telling my dad about this, dad was like, yeah, those theories never panned out about there being someone else. Like they never panned out. And I'm like. But that yeah, doesn't
1: mean they're false. Yeah.
0: Or it doesn't mean that there aren't other leads. And well, Yeah. I'm not one, I and while well, I'm, you know, one to certainly say, like, I definitely think David Berkowitz was involved in it, and I certainly don't think he's innocent, I do think that there were a lot of missteps that happened here because Berkowitz just admitted it, and that could have been part of what, you know, that could have been part yeah. of the game plan all along. You know, you get caught, you admit it, don't implicate anyone else, we'll kill your family, we'll kill your friends. And John Carr dying, the brother dying, yeah. it all just seemed very close
1: yeah and you know what else is interesting which they didn't touch on much at all in this whole documentary at least not that I can remember is that you know this is the 70s it bled into a little bit in the 80s and there's no talk about like DNA you know all these all these um, locations and cars and obviously bodies and even you know you have one of these guys has um, admitted to things and years later there's n- even now i'm you know i'm talking about more recently as as recently as 2018 maybe the arlis perry uh suspect was matched with dna somehow and they were able to track him down i mean how else can they do that you know all these years later but it just makes me wonder like was there any dna i remember we talked a little bit about arlis actually um the dna was collected in some capacity there although the documentary doesn't go into extreme detail but it's like so many. I think about the Golden State Killer and all these other um, serial killers that are yeah. caught, you know, decades later thanks to DNA. And it wasn't really mentioned this time. So I don't know. It makes me wanna. It makes me yeah, wanna I'm, do my own DNA. You know. I'm mystery. I'm
0: left with a few more questions. I guess I'm not really. Definitely perks my ears up uh, sure. to know that maybe. Uh, Maybe David didn't act alone in it, um, which is a Mm -hmm. little terrifying, but that, like, we're probably just never going to know. I mean, if Maury Terry can't kind of bring this case, I don't think anyone else can really, uh, without any solidified evidence. And that was also kind of a theme, too. They were saying, like, Maury brought all this stuff, but it never really went anywhere. You know, and you need evidence to kind of go somewhere. And some otherwise, it's just circumstantial. And so... I don't really know who to believe. It is certainly an interesting uh, thought, though, uh, about this case. So I I recommend watching this doc to kind of formulate your own opinion on it.
1: By the way, we should mention that David Berkowitz is still alive. He's 67 years old. But he is. By the way, um, his birthday is June 1st, Darren, which is this week coming up. Oh Um, Lord. Yeah. So just mentioning that's an interesting timing. But let us know what you thought about this case. And if you want us to continue to watch uh, some of these major documentaries and recap them here on Shaken and Disturbed, you can hit us up at Jay Thrasher, Carpe Darren, hit us up in our Facebook group. Or if you're a Patreon listener, there is a special Patreon post in our feed where you can go and comment what cases you would like us to listen to. Um, but let's end on a, on a more positive note, Darren. Please. You know? let's, let's do, do it. that. So we'll do some listener shout outs. I wanted to say shout out to everyone who joined our Patreon live stream last week. We got yes. to celebrate Darren's B-Day. And Darren, you got your birthday gift the day after. And the unveiling is on Patreon. You've probably posted it to social media at this point, I'm guessing. Um, but a quick teaser, because you did mention it at the top of the show. But can you give us like a quick like one-sentence reaction?
0: Um, just absolutely floored at how well John Thrasher knows me. <laughs> I'm not gonna post it on social media until people have seen it on the Patreon. Okay, so you're fair. gonna have to wait. I will keep it okay. um, coveted there. But uh, yeah, but yeah, good. it was it was a good it was a great gift. I gotta good. say. No Good. more making fun of John for not getting me. Anything. Thank you. And
1: by the way, I should mention your part two of your gift, which was really part one. I ordered it months ago. Is coming to your apartment in the next couple of weeks. So be on the lookout, Darren.
0: The best part is, is I'm not going to tell Nadine what it is, and I'm yeah. going to have her just come to the yeah. apartment in like in like a month, and she's just be like, it? "What the fuck is, this? is this?" And yeah. I'll have to film that reaction. As oh, well. please so, do. That would be of amazing. Of course, yes, of course.
1: Yes. Um, we have one other shout-out here as well, by the way.
0: Yes. Yeah, so uh, shout-out to Jade, who was on our Patreon live stream Ugh. but had to leave early because her son injured himself on a Ugh. trampoline. Those things can be dangerous. We hope I he know. feels better soon, Jade. Obviously, hit us up. Let us know uh, yeah. th- that they are okay. Uh, we want to make sure that he's he's doing well.
1: Yeah, I, I saw that Jade mentioned something in our Facebook group, and she was like, and he broke his wrist in school a few months ago. I'm like get this boy off of the trampoline and, you know, let's find him something else to do, is what I wanted uh, to I, say. I, I,
0: yeah, I mean, I just love that we're just getting drunk and... uh <laughs> Having a good time. And, yeah. you know, these people are still parents in the background. That's so, true. You know, I mean, the fact that they care about their kids more than us you is know? absurd. Exactly. But, uh, no, we hope that your your son is okay, Jade. And yes. thank you so much for joining, um, even the small thing. And thank you to all for the amazing birthday wishes on the yes, Facebook Darren. group Happy and my birthday. DMs. It was so, so fun, and I really appreciate it. And you're going to have to check out our Patreon to see what John Thrasher bought. <laughs>
1: it's worth the subscription, I promise, no matter what tier you're, you join.
0: Oh, yes, it is. Uh, but for all of you guys out there, we will see you next week. Thank you for listening. Yes,
1: see you guys. Bye.
0: Bye.